Hi, welcome to Back to Excited, episode 68. My name is Arvin. Joining me as always, my colleague from PensionPanPuppets.com. It's Acting the Fooliman. Hi, everybody. How are you doing, Fooliman? I'm doing as well as possibly could be. We are now into the dog days of hockey summer. Yep. It's fair to say. Um, the only real thing that seems to be happening now is uh, McKeel. Does he pronounce it McKeel or does he just call it Michael Furland? I've never I even think it's just Michael. I, yeah. I know it's spelled weirdly. Yeah. But... Anyway, I always just think of him as Furland. Anyway, he's like the only thing that's happened is he signed a contract. So we thought that now would be a good time to take stock of what other teams were doing. So we were going to look at their trades and signings uh, since the end of the last season. And then we would hot take about them and pronounce on teams that we rarely watch because we're in the center of the universe and we get to do stuff like that in our cosmic arrogance. So, yeah, we thought that that would be fun. Um, this will be of necessity a little bit less Leafs heavy. I think that our last podcast pretty much gave everyone uh, as much news as there is about the Leafs. We analyzed the uh, Tyson Berry trade, the Nikita Zaitsev trade, and so I think that that is enough to get you up to date because the Leafs haven't done that much since except extending Alex Kerfoot, which was very cool of them. So yeah, uh, that's yeah, the and plan. I think both of our thoughts on the Kerfoot deal is like, okay, that's a nice deal. Yeah, it's good. Um, Good stuff. It's very much in line with the Kapanen and Janssen extensions. It's the same sort of thing. It's four years at three and a half per. Yeah, it's like so. fair value. Actually, I think it was less than Evolving Wild's contract projection expected mm-hmm. Kerfoot to get on a four-year deal. I think they were expecting him in the mid-fours on a four-year deal. So the long and short of it is if Kerfoot does blossom into 80% of Nazem Kadri, we would have come out ahead on that trade. Yeah, it, it, it is potentially a great deal. There's been a lot of extensive Twitter debate about does Alex Kerfoot play center because he did a little bit, but he also played a lot of wing in Colorado. And the fact that a guy took a large number of faceoffs does not necessarily mean that he was a center in any given game. It's sort of more complicated than that. So we'll have to see how it pans out. I have to assume Kyle Dubas made this trade in this extension under the assumption that he was going to play third line center. It just yeah, seems and, and clear. maybe like the signings of Jason Spezza and Nick Shore to give Babcock a bit of insurance mm-hmm. on that, where it's like, especially with both of them being right-handed, yeah, um, they could potentially you know be on a line with with Kerfoot, or they can there can be some mix, mixing and matching that would give him a right-handed and left-handed center or center adjacent thing that he may enjoy. But that's something that'll be kind of TBD in training camp. We'll see how the lines shake out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. But we thought we would go through some of what the other teams did. So we're going to work alphabetically because, frankly, that's how Cap Friendly organizes its list, which makes a lot of sense. We're going to start with the Anaheim Ducks. And the Anaheim Ducks did, I'm going to say, pretty much jack shit. Uh, they acquired... Well, I mean, when ne- you're coming off such a successful season, why would you change anything? <laughs> if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? Um yeah, they acquired uh, Nick Delorier, who I don't think is really important enough for us to spend a ton of time on. They extended Ryan Miller, who is still a pretty decent backup at the age of 38. That's kind of cool. Um, I hope he's enjoying life on the, uh, the left coast. The really only significant thing that they did, in my opinion, was buying out Corey Perry, which was a pretty big move for a franchise that has always sort of infamously been kind of cash-strapped even at the best of times. And so they have a ton of dead money on their cap now from the Corey Perry buyout. 
Um, but he's gone now, and he's signed elsewhere um, at $1.5 million per with, hang on, I can remember this, Dallas. So I don't know if that was kind of a necessary move for them to make. I mean, he was tying up a lot of money for them, and they were a little bit up a creek. They don't look great right now. Like, I look at the Anaheim Ducks, and I'm like, this is going to be kind of an unpleasant couple of years, probably. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they so they have some cap space now, but it's just like their team isn't that good. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, look, a lot of their issues were probably just because Randy Carlisle was coaching them, and he's no longer coaching them. Now it's Dallas Aikens. Mm-hmm. And Aikens had famously a pretty tough time in Edmonton. I think this job will go, kind of go a long way into determining his NHL career, because you can always explain Edmonton by it's Edmonton. Right? <laughs> yeah, but I mean, Anaheim, who has succeeded there lately? But yeah. yeah, Anaheim is like a team that has had some level of success, and they're kind of paying the price for that now because, you know, the best players are, are now old. Like, Ryan Getzlaff is, is old. He's 34, and he's still quite good. But, mm-hmm. you know, he's not Ryan Getzlaff of old. Ryan Kester is not very good at this point, and he has three more years at, like, almost 7 mil. Um, Ryan Kester's, like, unplayable at this point. Yeah, he's not very like good at all. He's, he's flirting with just the complete injury abyss. Yeah, and then, I mean, Adam Henrique's 29. Silverberg is 28. They just re-signed him to, I think, a five-year deal. And Silverberg's mm-hmm. good, but, like, you know, that's a five-year deal that'll take him to 33, so you're, you're paying for some post-prime stuff there. Um, and he's a good top-six winger, but he's not amazing. Like, Ricard Raquel is probably their best prime-age forward. He's 26 on a very good deal. Yeah. But, oh, actually, that, that's not true. Andre Kasha is probably their best forward. I always forget about Andre Cash. He's the Me one too. guy where, like... He's really good. Yeah, he, he grades out, like, really positively uh, to a lot of numbers. Um, his his production last year was very good in a limited sample. So That's always how it's games. been with him, right? Like, he doesn't yeah. get the minutes that his rate stats would suggest he should get. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's no excuse for them not to play him if he is healthy next year, because who the hell else are they going to play? Yeah. Yeah. Um, they have that Cam Fowler deal. They have a I... lot of kind of bad <laughs> deals, or like deals where it's like you can see why they made them, but they committed a lot of money in term to guys who are like not amazing. Like Fowler, Fowler's one of those guys who's always been rated higher by hockey men than by stats people. Mm-hmm. Um, and they signed him. Like he he has what eight years or seven years at like six point five mil. It's a lot. Yeah. Right? And, well, they paid for goals. Like, he yeah, was a goal-scoring defenseman, and they ponied yeah. up for that. And the thing is, if you believe that Camp Fowler is a, like, fringe top-pair guy, that's a very good deal because you can say, okay, we have him locked up for a long time. He'll be good throughout most of that time, and it's a pretty fair cap it if you believe that he is that sort of player. But I don't think his on-ice numbers and his play-driving numbers have ever been particularly good. Um, so, you know, part of it is probably he also gets compared to Hampus Lindholm because when Fowler's not on the ice, Lindholm is. And Lindholm's, like, the Corsi god. Yeah, Lindholm continually puts up fancy stats that are just preposterous. Like, there yeah. was a point in the uh, the height or depths of the Randy Carlisle era, depending on how you want to look at it, where he and Manson had something like, they were putting up, like, 60% shot differentials, and everyone else on the team was, like, 48. It was insane. Yeah. Um, so, um, isolated threat views... Uh, views Fowler as like an average defenseman if you think he's an average defenseman then that deal is really bad because it's like six and a half mil for a long time for an average defenseman at age 27 so yeah Anaheim's in a bit of a weird spot 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, they have some guys coming up who I've heard a lot about. And I mean, I feel like I'm going to have to emphasize this repeatedly through the top 25. I don't watch junior hockey. Like, I've seen, like, I don't know, three games of junior hockey in the past two years. Like, mm-hmm. I just, I don't follow it with any kind of level. So I'm totally reliant on people to tell me stuff. But um, for a long time, I know Sam Steele was touted. And now he's well thought of as part of their AHL team. The idea was apparently that they were going to promote a lot of guys from the AHL team, which was previously coached by Dallas Eakins. And so the idea is now that he's going to move up and they will move up with him and he can sort of begin the transition to a new generation of players. Yeah, It's not like... I Like, I think that it's a bit bleak in the near and maybe even the midterm, but like... I've certainly seen worse situations, and the Anaheim roster isn't, like, totally devoid of talent by any means. No, no. It it seems like it's a middle-of-the-road roster, but then you also have John Gibson, who's maybe the best goaltender in the world. Mm Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it seems like, with competent coaching, they're probably a bubble team. Yeah, they could be. I mean, Gibson can get you in the hunt, and, you know, and they have some guys who can still do it. Yeah, it depends on their young guys as well. But, like, I guess the question with them is, like, they have a lot of, as, as we said, a lot of money tied up in okay and like slightly above average players for a long time that's not typically a way to succeed in the nhl so maybe Mm -hmm. they might run into trouble in a couple years if their young guys are good in retaining them because they're going to have all these old guys on their cap Mm -hmm. so anyways that's enough about anaheim (laughs) we've done all we can with the anaheim ducks so uh next on our fun list is the arizona coyotes who have had a rather active off-season on the trade front so far. It seems like they always do. Cheka, they do. Cheka is a, is a wheeler dealer. Yeah, he's a mover. And you know what? I respect that. We need more of that. Do I think that the moves he's making are good? Often, no. But sometimes, yes. So, I, I, I find them hard to assess, really. Yeah. Because um, you never know how much of it is, like, um, how much of it is ownership mandated or whatever. So, you might not believe this. It's hard to... It's one of those things that's like kind of surprising, but they only have two hundred thousand dollars in cap space right now. Yes, and it's twelve million dollars more than their actual salary paid out. Yes, like it's all uh, dead money or discrepancy between cap hit and salary or what have you. But they like they've probably now, for the time being at least, they've maximized their ability to be sort of the home for guys who are not playing anymore, like they are for Marion Hosa. Um. It's interesting to see this as a capped-out roster all the same, though, isn't it? Because you look at it and you're like, is that good? I don't think that that's all that good. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, it'll be worth a look to see exactly what um, to make of this. But they've made a couple of pretty significant trades. Um, the first one was uh, Carl Soderberg. They acquired him from the Avalanche for Kevin Kanaten, who's like a third-pair defenseman. And a third. Um, Carl Soderberg is a pretty decent middle six center, I think. Um, that said, he's 33. And, you know, he's got one year left at 4.75. I I don't know. I mean, I think that Arizona always seems to be hurting for centers. Like, they mm-hmm. always seem to me like they stock up on the wings and stuff like that. And because centers cost money and assets and what have you. Um, they never quite seem to max out on the center front. Right now they have uh, Derek Stepan and Nick Schmaltz. Um, down the middle, which is, you know, okay. So I, I guess, you know, Soderbergh comes in there and he adds something, but 
he, I don't think that he's like really changing your game to any large extent. Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, he he he's fine. I, when I look at this roster, I just see like a lack of like guys from like oh okay yeah he's really good right and yeah. i guess this leads into your second point you were going to talk about the phil kessel deal i assume exactly so uh, the phil kessel deal was in its totality with the pittsburgh penguins um the coyotes gave up alex galchenyuk who they famously got for max domi from montreal a year back and pierre olivier joseph who's a pretty decently thought of like mid-tier defense prospect in exchange, they got our Lord and Savior, Philip Kessel, um, as well as a guy in AHL of whom I have never heard, named Dame Burks, and they got a fourth. So, obviously the big thing here is, what's the thinking on the Phil Kessel trade? He's 31 now. Um, he's still got three years left at $6.8 which for his point production is unreal. Now, his point production, I have a pretty strong feeling, is about to decline because he's no longer going to be playing with Evgeny Malkin or on a power play with Malkin and Crosby. But he was point a game last year. He was uh, better than point a game. He had 92 points in 82 games the season before. Um, he hasn't missed a game since 2010, which is pretty impressive for all the talk about his conditioning. And I think a lot of Toronto fans are going to remember the Phil Kessel Wars. Um, he keeps himself playing and in games at a decently high level of production year in year out so you know warts and all you have to respect some things about phil kessel he's one of the worst defensive wingers in the game right now and it pains me but there's not really much getting around that you just have to take the good with the bad with him i think that there's always an argument about, like, okay, so if he's a bad defensive winger, but how much is your system really reliant on the wingers defensively? Um, you know, they're not typically the most important people in the defensive zone, even if, you know, they're flying all the time and hoping for a stretch pass or what have you. Um, so I still think that he's a positive value player. Um, he's the highest paid player in their forward group in terms of cap hit. I think he gives them a bit of spark. And I think that, you know, as you said, there aren't that many guys with a huge wow factor. Uh, like Clayton Keller seems like he might be, but he didn't have like the greatest year last year. And then you have OEL on the back end. But I just wonder if this was like, well, we see an opening here to get a guy with some bona fide high grade talent, words and all. Yeah. I, Kessel has been, he's been a guy I've kind of changed my opinion on, I guess it's partially aided by the fact that he left the Leafs and I kind of the rose cutter glasses came off to a degree where with the Leafs and actually I still I'll stand by this mm -hmm. the amount of shit he got from the media was unfounded because despite the fact that he was flawed um he was also not the problem with the Leafs no. right that the problem was there was no talent around him we saw with the Penguins hey you can have you can have this guy be a really important player on your team and win a cup or win two cups mm -hmm. right can he be the best player on your team probably not and that, that was part of Lee's problem. He was the best player on the team. And a team where Phil Kessel is the best player on the team is not going to do particularly well. Um, he is truly, truly bad defensively. I think I didn't realize quite how bad he was defensively until he got out of the Carlisle system and we could kind of isolate him with competent coaches. That's the thing is everyone looked so awful defensively on those Leafs teams that it was sort of like, well, it's all just sort of an ocean of shit. 
Yeah. And uh, yeah, so you see him in Pittsburgh and you start to think, oh dear, that's a problem. Mm -hmm. Uh, With Arizona, it's a bit like the um, Anaheim thing where it's like they have a lot of years and money tied up to players who are like, okay. Mm -hmm. Like Nick Schmaltz. Yeah, he's okay. Christian Dvorak. Yeah, he's all right. Like they're they're young players who are about NHL average, and they've invested fairly heavily into them. And the idea there, and I, I think what Arizona is going for, is these if these guys grow and you know get better, then these contracts are like a steal. It's kind of like this is maybe a weird cross sport comparison, but in like the 2008 era Tampa Bay Rays, they extended like their hot young prospects for a lot of money for like a, a mid-sized amount of money in baseball terms um, before they really fully established themselves as MLB players. And then when they did and when they became good players, those contracts were steals. Like Evan Longoria was the prototypical example. Mm-hmm. The problem is I don't think Nick Schmaltz or Christian Dvorak are going to turn into anything besides decent top six players. And it's like, okay, well, if I, am I happy paying 5.9 and 4.5 mil to those players? It's probably not amazing. Right. Um, yeah. And there's nothing that we have based on public stats that make me think that either of those guys are going to be truly outstanding. Now, maybe you could say, well, when you get them with better teammates, they'll they'll start to shine. But if you're paying a guy because he's good with good players, then that seems kind of besides the point. You should be playing those good players instead. Yeah. Exactly. Derek uh, Stepan. Sorry. Yep. To, Derek Stepan's still quite good. He, he's he's like a legitimately good play driver. He's kind of their their one their one C, and he's. He's like in that cadre mold of 1C where he's like, you can, when you're a bad team, you talk yourself into him being acceptable there. Mm-hmm. Right? But really, like his, the way he succeeds on a good team, on a contending team, is like he is an elite number two. Yeah. And he's only there for two, two more years. So, like, it's unlikely he's a long term part of this. Clayton Keller seems cool. They have to pay him after this year. One of those guys who quietly has had really bad play driving numbers the last two years. Uh, yeah, it, it's, I just don't, again, I just don't see the elite talent coming through. Yeah, that's the thing is like, they really need a home run franchise draft pick. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they haven't quite had the opportunity. Yeah, they might like, have the- Dylan Strom didn't work out the way they wanted to. No, um, and I do really wish if you could give John Jacobs some truth serum, what does he think of Dylan Strom now? Like, does he buy this huge increase in point production that Strom has had since going to Chicago, playing with Alex DeBrincat? Or does he say, well, well, he was on a shooting heater and his play driving numbers are crap. So, yeah. um, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, yeah, Arizona's, yeah, they seem like a really good candidate to run in place. Uh, I always think of this one quote that Katja has about uh, John Chaka, uh running Arizona, which is that he's the master of the trade where he gives up two dimes for 21 cents. Where, like, he seems like he's trying to capture that extra 2% of value. The thing about Arizona is they're so broke that they seem like they're constantly struggling to ever do any more than that. Than to make, like, these little potentially marginal gains. I'm not sure that he's ever been put in a position to really succeed. He's not really in a position to bid seriously on free agents, for example. Um... You know, he's made some good moves, he's made some bad moves in my estimation, but the biggest thing is that I don't think that he has a free hand to really go in there and make substantial changes, so he makes these moves around the margins 
or tries to capitalize on opportunities like Phil Kessel wearing out his welcome in Pittsburgh. Um, you know, it's something, but you have to wonder at some point, what's the end game here? Like, does this ever get better? It's the idea that if they can get into consistent playoff contention and drive some gate revenue, they might become a team that can start to spend. I guess that has to be the long-term hope, but... Um... Yeah, and I mean, look, they're, they're not like, they're not a bad team. I think that by shot share, they're almost the definition of league average. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing is, they also don't really have any finishing talent. And you could say, okay, well, you know, this is what Kessel is good for. Kessel is a yeah. wonderfully talented shooter and a brilliant passer as well. A guy who you could say, hey, maybe he can help sustain a strong online shooting percentage. But you need to insulate him with play drivers. So in that way, putting him with Derek Stepan might actually make a really good fit. Mm-hmm. Um, and on the defense side, they have some good defensemen. I, I, I've loved Oliver ekman Larson for a long time, even though those on-one metrics like RAPM and Isolated Threat don't seem to love him. I He's a guy that when I watch him, I'm always kind of impressed. Nick Jalmerson is one of the few legitimately good defensive defensemen. Um, Jason Demers is still good. Jakob Chikrin has moved on from Paul Romanuk killing his father. <laughs> and is, We admire his resilience for that. Yeah, and he, he, he's 21. He's Again, it's one of those things where it's like, he seems decent and they committed a lot of money to him in the hopes that he ex- he makes that a steal in the future. And that's kind of what they have to do, I guess. Right, like they have these guys who they've invested time in, and they say, "Okay, we hope these guys can be good. We're not going to realistically attract other free agents here, so we need to hope that these guys excel, and we're going to bet on them to do so. If it doesn't mm-hmm. pay out, we're going to not be great. We're going to not be great anyways. If it does, if they do actually blossom, then we can capture some actual value here. So I, I get why they do it. It makes sense. I just don't think that the guys that they are investing in are particularly likely to be great players, and it." They've also made some weird draft pick, draft choices, right? So mm-hmm. I'm not like neither of us are draft guys, so we just kind of follow what the consensus says. Um, but Barrett Hayton was kind of considered a bit of a reach at number five, I think, when they when they picked him. So mm-hmm. you know that that's really their chance to continue to get or to to try and get elite talent, right? It's through the top of the draft, they haven't been able to do it yet, and. Yeah. They're also a team who's, from what I remember, their power play is awful and their penalty kill is, like, amazing. They had a period where they, uh, and it didn't last the whole year, but it lasted for a couple months where they had more shorthanded goals than power play goals. Yeah. And And Michael Grabner helps that, obviously. I'm looking at their shot numbers now, and yeah, their power play is putrid. Like, they Mm -hmm. just don't really shoot from anywhere. And Another thing pen- that Phil is supposed to fix, I suppose. Yes, their penalty kill is quite good. So mm-hmm. you can... Uh, the Kessel trade, I think, makes sense for them. It, like, there's, you can clearly point to a couple ways where it's like, okay, you know, if Stepan can insulate him, now we have not a good top line, but you have a top line that is not an embarrassment, mm-hmm. right? And maybe Phil can help our power play. He's now the focal point. He's still a great passer. He, he's probably not going to score as much as he does in that super unit of Crosby, Malkin, Latang, and Hornquist. But Kessel, we saw in Toronto, is still an excellent power play player. Mm-hmm. So there's the chance to be good. It's just the, the bottom line is in order to become a great team, you need elite talent. And I don't see elite talent on this team yet. No. And I think that, you know, I'm sure some of this is biased because we cheer for a rich team. Arizona is yes. not a rich team. So a lot of Absolutely. the advantages that we're used to do, um, enjoying as fans of the Toronto Maple Leafs don't exist at all for them. Um, they have to function on being smarter than other teams on capturing extra value in places and it's a it's a tough road yeah and, and that, that's so, why they that's yeah. why they take these bets on their on their young guys because they don't they don't really have the luxury to to not like they need those guys to be successful if they're not successful they're not going to be good anyways 
So there's like, in a way, not that much downside to mm-hmm. extending these guys for, for like long term. And the upside is if these guys blossom, then you're a really good team. Yeah, makes a lot of sense given the resources available to them. So oh, yeah, we should probably speed this up because we're at this rate, we're going to be here for three hours. <laughs> yeah. Well, the good news is the Boston Bruins didn't Boo. do <laughs> Boo. The Bruins didn't do really anything except they extended Danton Heinen for two years at 2.8 million, which I think is sadly a pretty decent contract. Yep. Um, all those mid-level RFAs have a way of coming in at uh, decent value, so we won't dwell too extensively on that. Uh, the Buffalo Sabres. Uh, oh, Boston still needs to sign Charlie McAvoy, correct? Uh, oh, yeah, okay. So I should also note um, these outstanding RFAs, because contrary to what TSN might lead you to believe, <laughs> there are quite a few of them uh, outstanding, uh, not just Mitchell Marner. So, yeah, Charlie McAvoy and Brandon Carlo are still being negotiated. There is nary a peep of an offer sheet to either of them. Yeah, which is they have $8 million for the two of them. I mean, maybe that's not enough, but like, it doesn't seem like a big issue. You can, you know, sell off one of those guys making a million dollars on your fourth line, replace him with a guy making seven hundred k instead. It's not yeah. a big deal. Wait, Par Lindholm's on their roster. How did that happen? <laughs> yeah, he just he picked up. He's like their depth now. I find that so funny that Par Lindholm is just sort of wandering the the wastes of the NHL and just yeah. I mean, good for him. He got a two year too. Um, yeah, that's impressive. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, the Bruins, you know, they made the final. Let's be honest. They're a very good team. Yes, they're, they're uh, they, an excellent team. They have very little incentive to make major changes, especially considering it would require them to clear salary, which, you know, they're not really in a position to do. As and, long as uh, Bergeron and uh, Marchand are elite players, they're a contender. Yeah. Because they're, they're, they're paying $13 million to those guys combined for two of the best players in the world. Right, Pasternak's on a steal of a deal. Krejci is like maybe a little overpaid, but I mean you can get away with that because he's still he's still a very good player, and mm-hmm. you're paying 13 million for two of like the 10 best forwards in the world. Yeah, uh, Dom Lucician, uh, who writes for the Athletic, did a thing on the best and worst contracts in the NHL, and he had both Marchand and Pasternak on the list of the best contracts. Um, yeah, kind of sucks for us. I mean, I think the Marchand contract might eventually end, kind of ugly, but. Yeah, but That's I mean, he's six years. <laughs> he's had such a weird career path. That's the thing. Yeah. Like he, he turned knows? into an elite yeah. player basically at twenty eight. Mm-hmm. Right before that, he was like good but annoying, and yeah. now he's just one of the best players in the league and still extremely annoying. So, so they have some like some bad con- like David Backus's deal sucks, but they can get away with it because they're underpaying their top three forwards by like a combined ten million. Yeah, and uh, we'll pause here for all the Leaf fans who deeply envy the idea of underpaying your top three forwards because that is not going to happen for us for a while. No, definitely not. Oh, well. But anyway, so yeah, the Bruins didn't do all that much else. We are fairly confident they'll get McAvoy and uh, Carlos signed one way or another. I have a feeling that the McAvoy contract is going to be a steal, and I'm going to be mad. Yep, Yep, that sounds about right. Uh, so the Buffalo Sabres have done a lot. Uh, Jason Botterill, when he came from the Pittsburgh organization, uh, was kind of considered a bit of a bit of a whiz kid, I suppose it's fair to say. And, you know, frankly, given some of the things that Jim Rutherford has done since, I could probably be persuaded that some of the brains left the office when Botterill walked out the door. But he hasn't had, like, 
a real major offseason of totally reshaping the team, except in a negative way with that awful Ryan O'Reilly trade. Um, but now he's done a ton of stuff, and I'm afraid to say most of it seems pretty smart. So mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. We'll, uh, we'll cover the signings fairly quickly. They got Marcus Johansson, who I know has been uh, a favorite of yours for a while. Uh, two years yeah, at 4.5 million. Good, good middle six player. Some has some versatility. Played center earlier in his career. I guess more recently he's been kind of just a straight up winger. But mm-hmm. yeah, he's he's like a good player. I mean, he was annoying to deal with in the in the Boston series for sure. And you know the the concussions that he had, I think in in Jersey, kind of slowed him down. But he he's a legitimately talented player, and they need talented scorers behind their top line. Yeah, they needed to upgrade uh, at defense, and they needed more additional scoring talent. They did lock up the scoring talent they did have in Jeff Skinner. Uh, they gave him eight years at $9 million. I think that's an overpay, but I also think that, as we were saying, Buffalo really needed to acquire talent, and they've been so god-awful for so long. They kind of just got to the point where they needed to say, okay, we're going to pony up and actually just hold on to some scoring ability. It costs of doing business. It's not a exactly. it's not a deal that looks amazing. And I bet if you gave Jason Botterill truth serum, he'd say, yep, mm-hmm. I know that realistically that's not what we would have liked to have paid. But mm-hmm. that's the reality, right? Like Skinner had a lot of leverage in that position. He, he was coming off, I think, his best goal scoring year. He's I looked this up the other day. Over the last three years, I think he's third in the league in goals per 60 at five on five. First is Matthew. Second is Victor Arvidsson. Yeah, I mean, he's a, he's a great goal scorer. Yeah, and, I and goal still... scorers get paid. And it's like, yeah. like what are you going to tell Jack Eichel? Hey, we you know we, ha- we we have a guy who wants to stay here, can score goals like hell, fits perfectly with your game, uh, but it's gonna char- he was asking for like a million too much. Yeah, sorry, man. Like, uh, cost yeah. of doing business. Absolutely. And I, I'm still, I guess Carolina thought they weren't going to be able to retain him, but they traded him last summer. And you keep thinking, why is Carolina trading out scoring talent? Yeah. Finishing talent? Anyway. Um, But the Sabres have also been active on the trade front. They made three deals that I think are of significance. We've talked a bit already about the Colin Miller deal. They gave up a second and a fifth for Colin Miller, who is a defenseman that we coveted. Um, We didn't end up getting him. And then, you know, we've talked about a lot of the fallout from that. But he's certainly going to improve the right side of their defense, in my opinion. Um, Wherever he's required to play. Uh, they got Jimmy Vesey from New York, and this is just funny because Jimmy Vesey, uh, the Sabres traded for his rights when he was, like, poised to become uh, a free agent out of college, and Vesey was like, no, I don't want to play for you, and he signed in New York, and now New York has traded him to the Sabres for a third, and so <laughs> uh, I guess he's kind of stuck there, but uh, he's, like, a decent uh sort of secondary, tertiary offensive option. Uh, he was really overhyped when he came into the league, but he'll, you know, he'll chip in 15 goals for you or something. And then the most interesting trade, and I think, you know, partially this was that it happened after most of the news had, had broken, because it was on July 9th. But the Sabres uh, dealt Alexander Nylander, younger brother of our beloved William, to the Chicago Blackhawks for Henry Yokiharyu. And there was much debating about this move. Um, a lot of people I saw who were kind of stats inclined uh, were prone to believing that the Sabres basically fleeced Chicago on this one. It's probably more complicated than that. But I have to say I like it from the Sabres end. Alexander Nylander 
was not really showing signs of living up to his draft position or his surname um, compared to his brother. Uh, y you know, I still think he's going to be an NHL player. He still has a lot of talent, but it wasn't really working out in Buffalo. Whereas Yuki Haru, um, whose name I'm sure I'm butchering, uh, had terrific uh, fancy stat results in half a season with uh, the Blackhawks at age 19. Yeah, that, that, that's the thing. Like, even if there's like a kind of backlash to the statsy people saying, like, like kind of gassing up Yoki Haru. Mm -hmm. People saying, like, oh, you know, sheltered third pair defenseman, Corsi numbers are good, blah, blah, blah. Like, this is the same trap that people fall into. And right. that's initially what I thought as well. That, oh, he's another one from the Isle of Shelter, third pair defenseman. Mm -hmm. I was talking to Katya about him, and I, I, she kind of basically said, hey, look this up. Um, not in so many words, but effectively that was the result of the conversation. And mm -hmm. he's not that sheltered. Uh, he faces basically league average competition. He didn't die when facing it. Like, I'm not saying he's an amazing player, but he was in the NHL at 19 and did fine. That that's, is an achievement, unequivocally. Yeah, at, at 19, like, that's kind of that's a big deal right um and then you add like positional scarcity where alexander nylander is a winger and yoki haru's a right shooting defenseman mm -hmm. there's you know some positional value there it, it, this seems like chicago trying to like recapture the dylan strome thing where it's like hey let's trade for another underachieving high pick and get him into our system and i think they might be believing their own hype to a degree, this might be totally off base, but like, mm -hmm. it, it it has a kind of a whiff of that. When I think the big thing that really helped Dylan Strome was a playing with Alex DeBrinket and b um, a ridiculous on ice shooting percentage. So yeah, like I, I I like this deal from Buffalo's perspective. I don't, I wouldn't say with any confidence that oh Yoki Haru's an amazing player or anything like that, but he seems like a guy who could play in the NHL this season, and mm -hmm. probably do all right. That seems like a better bet than what Nylander is. Yeah, I'd agree. The only other thing was that someone pointed this out to me online, which is that uh, Chicago has a lot of right defensemen that they're committed to one way or another. They had the, the Brent Seabrook deal, which is, uh, yeah, speaking of that... But they're not good. <laughs> like, like no. Seabrook, it's like... <laughs> yeah, like, I don't know what the deal is. Like, I mean, it's it's the worst contract in the NHL, probably. It, like, it's like, if you, it's like if you have this, like, gigantic, ugly rock in your living room that, like... <laughs> It's, it's just there. And you're like, mm. okay, well, I mean, this nice chandelier doesn't really go with the rock. Let's get rid of the chandelier. <laughs> it's like, well, why are you, why are you like, focused on what fits around that rock? Like, that rock is, yes, it's going to be there for a while, but, like, you should, you know, pretend it's not there effectively. <laughs> yes, I think that that is an excellent argument. Um, but just to note, they had Seabrook, who they've committed to for the next five years. Uh, big ugly rock that he is. They have Connor Murphy, and then they have Adam Boakfast coming up on right defense. I guess they felt they were dealing from surplus here. I, I do have to admit, it looks to me like a, a trade that I think Buffalo wins. Yeah, I guess I we're going to see if Alex Nylander can, you know, capture some form next season or whatever. Um. Anyway, so unfortunately, I think Buffalo is getting better. Uh, it was destined to happen sooner or later. I still don't know how good they are. But I think that they're improving and that they've had a decent offseason. Yeah, I mean, um, Buffalo had a, um, what's it? They have a really big offseason coming up. Mm -hmm. If you look at their roster, basically they have four forwards under contract next year. Uh, Eichel, Skinner, Oxposo, and Johansson. Right. 
Um, Sam Reinhardt is an RFA. He's quite good. They're going to want to lock him up. Casey Middling stats is not as good, but he'll also be an RFA. And it'll be interesting to see what sort of contract he gets. Their entire bottom six is essentially going to be... It, it could potentially change, right? Yeah. Um, and that's kind of been their problem for a while, is that they have nothing behind their top line, who is legitimately good. They still have Rasmus Ristolainen. That's another thing. Um, <laughs> so like the, mm, I'm we, afraid to laugh at defensemen now, because after the Cody yeah, season, we have Cody like, we'll probably trade for him next week. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, Rasmus Dahlins is, is amazing. He's going to be phenomenal, right? And he's going to be, for sure, their, their 1D. Um, Ristolainen is, is, is there, and aside from Dahlin, there's not that much else like you have to hope that miller can be a true top four guy and then you and have yippie what? you and montour i guess yeah exactly so there's like the, the the skeleton of something decent there but it's not world beating by any stretch i mean aside from dalian yeah I, the only other thing is that they are going to open a fair amount of cap space next season if oh, they yeah. choose to use it yeah um even after some of these deals are signed and so the, the issue is do they think that it's time now to go and be players in the, the UFA market? I don't know. They're, they're a team that actually could. Now that an offer sheet has happened, we can actually talk about it without <laughs> caveating it as much. But next yeah. year, off the top of my head, I don't know what the restricted, the restricted free agent class is, but next year they could be a good offer sheet uh, candidate, like to throw out offer sheets. Yeah. Because with Buffalo, your cap space is not as valuable as like, the Rangers cap space, right? Because it's hard to... Like, you don't get as many prime for agents moving in the NHL. So you can accept kind of overpaying the market to some extent for a young star. Like the way the way the Leafs did to some degree with Matthews, right? Like mm-hmm. it, it's not ideal, but it's fine because it means you have Austin Matthews. Right. Right? You could do something like that. I, I wonder if they, they make a run at someone like that, but... Um, yeah, there, a lot is kind of up for grabs with the with the Sabers next year. And this year, I think is kind of like a playoffs or bust year. Not not quite a playoffs or bust year. Like, what are they gonna do? Fire Botterill and then get another guy in immediately, like two years after. Um, but they're definitely gunning for the playoffs. Like they they're yeah. they're tired of being crappy. Yeah, and I honestly can't blame them. So yeah. we'll see if it pays out. But I certainly think that they have a chance. Um, I thought that they would be about an 80-point team last year, and that's about where they finished. I think yeah. this year they might be like an 85 to 90 Their goaltending is like, I mean, it, they're still relying on Carter Hutton, who mm. is 33. Um, I, he had an okay year last year, didn't he? I, I don't know off the top of my head. Yeah, as I recall, I don't think that their problem has been goaltending, like recently. Yeah, it's um, mostly been just a ghastly bottom six and ghastly defense. Yeah, they're bad. Well, you put up a nine oh eight, so that's yeah, like it's not amazing. Modestly below average. Yeah, it's it, it's hard to make the playoffs with below average goaltending. It really is because the league yeah, is so definitely. tight in the middle. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, so that's the state of play on Buffalo. Thankfully for us and our progression through this list, uh, the Calgary Flames have done very little. They signed Cam Talbot, which is kind of funny, um, to be one of their revolving carousel of goaltenders. Their goaltending is never very good. Um, they need to extend Matthew Kachuk, who is a obnoxiously excellent player. But beyond that, it's a pretty quiet offseason for Calgary. I thought Calgary was pretty good. Um, they have some great players. They have Gaudreau on a fantastic deal. They have Monaghan on a great deal. Uh, Mark Giordano is thus far aging like fine wine um, as a tremendous first-pair defenseman. 
so they're kind of in a holding pattern. We probably do you have anything like urgent to say about the Calgary Flames? Nope, they're they're a good team that um didn't overreact to anything in the playoffs, which is good, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, like they didn't like stupidly trade Goodrow or whatever. I think that they still have a contention window, but yeah, their goaltending is super tenuous, right? Yeah, and you know, <laughs> I I mean, the stats answer is always don't overpay for goaltending for the most part because your chances are, you know, like who knows what's going to happen given the year over year variance in goaltending performance. Like you might pay for one G performance when you end up getting it from your backup, and that's sort of what happened for a while last year where. They were paying Mike Smith, and he was really struggling, and they had uh, David Riddick, who kind of saved the day. But over time, Smith started getting better again, and Riddick started getting worse. So, you, like, you never know how these things are going to go. But uh, anyway, we'll see how things work out for them. They're, they're a good team. Um, the Carolina Hurricanes had a, uh, a pretty busy season, offseason. Um, you know, not doing anything... That involved like a huge home run acquisition, but they've certainly been active, you know, coming off uh, their first playoff appearance in quite some time and a successful run. So they had the Sebastian Ajo offer sheet. Um, I guess we can talk about that a little bit briefly. The truth is, is it sounds like they were really lowballing him. And Montreal came with this offer sheet, which was perfectly reasonable for a player of Sebastian Ajo's caliber. It was, it was five like, years at eight. If he signs that deal, it's like, okay, cool. You got a very fair deal. Yeah. Like, I I don't know that, like, they're crying about it per se. That said, um, they made a big deal of, to be frank, kind of swinging their dicks around and being like, look at this. We're just going to match this. No problem. Like, it's all good. Like, there was a lot of performance there about trying to insist how painless this was. And I'm like... From what's leaked in those negotiations, they were lowballing him really hard and not offering him a lot in the way of signing bonuses. And now he's got a fairer deal that has $21 million in signing bonuses in the next calendar year. Um, and they can't trade him in that time period, not that they would want to. It's still a good contract. They should be happy with how it's worked yeah, out. Yeah, no, it, it, yeah, but it's, it's, it's weird. It's, it's just like there was a bit of like, writers. you know. Some of their beat writers, too, have been like, don't say that Tom Dunton is cheap now. It's like, he was literally fucking lowballing his star. Right? Yeah, I'm I don't know, I'm like... going to still call him cheap. Good, you can pay $21 million. You're a fucking billionaire. Why do you own an NHL team if you're not, if you're... Like, it, honestly, if they didn't match this, sell the fucking team. It, yeah, this, no, this, it's a credibility as a franchise issue. Yeah, this makes me, like, like if very you don't match that annoyed, honestly. Because it's like, yeah, of course you match that. He's your superstar. He's like you had one <laughs> yeah. good year amidst years of kind of like dog shit. And I'm a Leafs fan. I know dog shit. It was like we follow some Canes fans because they, they're they have a smart fan base in, in hockey stats Twitter, um, and their fans yeah, were just are. depressed, right, heading into this year. Oh and, God, yeah, like uh, Corey Schneider. Yeah, like. I would see, and like, he's a great guy. He contributes so much to the stack community. Absolutely. And my heart broke for him watching some of those tweets. It was yeah. just like. Because for, for, for like five years, they're a ridiculous shots team who either couldn't shoot or couldn't goaltend or couldn't do either in any given year. And they finally kind of yeah. like stumble into some, not stumble into success. They're a smart team, but they finally mm -hmm. get some success and they're finally a good team. And Sebastian Ajo, a second round steal is a big, big part of it. 
like, of course you pay him what Montreal was offering. And it's just, it's, the dick swinging is weird because it's like, I feel like they bungled this negotiation. Yeah, like, it got to the point where your star player signed an offer sheet, something that hasn't happened in six years. And maybe you say, hey, it's okay. We got a good contract deal out of it. You did, absolutely. But it's like, what what precipitated him signing that? Like, if you were not serious, it's just, I just don't like the bragging about, like, oh, yeah, like, look how... Look how real and legit an NHL team we are. We kept our star. It's like, good. That's the bare minimum. You kept your star for five years, right? Mm-hmm. Um, after him signing an offer sheet that was designed to test how cheap you are. I don't think this is grounds for victory laps. Yeah. You, you and can by say, the way... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Well, like, we're generally, I think, kind of sympathetic to Carolina because, yes. you know, we're stats nerds, but we like them as a team. And the offer shooting team was the Montreal Canadiens. Do you know how badly I want to join in at laughing at the Habs? I'm still doing it anyway, to be clear. It's always worth doing. But I'm like... Yeah, it's been a performance. There's been, like, a lot of showy, look how much money we have. And the more you do that, the more you say, like, we're a bank putting money in the window, the more I start to think, you are putting on an act. And, you know, say what you will, I don't think... Why weren't they offering this beforehand like was this above it, that's the thing like and it's not just that like why didn't it, if it felt if aho felt like negotiations were going well and they're going to get to something reasonable i don't think he signs this i think it's because he was getting lowballed and apparently um they wanted him only on like an eight-year deal or whatever eight-year deals are like super short term and it's like okay like come on get serious like you need to have some kind of you know flexibility with that he's, he's your star like what what are you what are you trying to accomplish here by nickel and diming him? Yeah, I, I think that the whole thing was kind of dubious, and it's worked out fine for them. But it's worked out fine. But I, I mean, don't think it, it answers any, any questions about the the franchise in the longer term. Yeah, and sure. I mean, Aho is going to be a UFA in five years, mm-hmm. right? So that, that's a, that's a long time. I don't really believe that this means he's any likelier to leave. Five years is a long time if the team has success and is willing to not dick him around in their next negotiation and not you know, lowball him, then I think he'll, he'll resign. It's just, this, this, look, I guess I'll level set like this. The situation has worked out fine for Carolina, and you could say the ends mm-hmm. justify the means. Yep, it's fine. They have their star. It's on a very good deal. The money is just money out of Tom Dundon's pockets. He spent more on stupider things than <laughs> paying Sebastian Ajo. So yeah. it, it's fine. I just don't understand the idea of, look how rich we are we can actually we can pay this this is the bare minimum that an nhl team should be able to do if you cannot do this as an nhl owner you should not be an nhl owner yeah i think that that's the bottom line and so uh they did do a couple of things they extended peter Morazek, who gave them some credible goaltending for the first time in years so can't blame them for that they picked up ryan zingle for two years at 3.375 per uh, I think Ryan Zingle might have outweighed the market and kind of outsmarted himself a little bit because that was less than I suspected he was going to get um, if he had signed earlier. But he's a decent, you know, contributing winger. I don't think he's anything crazy. He's a good and, player uh, for they picked Carolina up because he, yeah. Ryan Zingle, his his thing is, I'm a good finisher. And that's like his one NHL skill. And as we've said often with Patrick yeah. Laine, if your one NHL skill is scoring goals, you have a long career. Right, so that's extremely true. And but on Carolina especially, like there's still a team that is a lot of really good play drivers and comparatively fewer high end finishers. 
Zingle is a cheap mm-hmm. finisher. Finishing talent normally costs a lot, as we saw with Jeff Skinner. Um, Skinner is much better than Zingle in basically every way, but you know, mm-hmm. Zingle can be a homeless man's version. <laughs> Pretty much. No, and so, so I, yeah, I think they, it's fine. Like for, for the cap hit you're, you're yeah. paying, that's a fine deal for them. They, it, it's like what we were talking about with Stepan and Kessel, except Carolina has the infrastructure to insulate Zingle more than Arizona does for Kessel, and they're not paying $6.8 million, They're paying, what, three and a half. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think it's a sensible move. And they, um, they also picked up Eric Halla, which is kind of interesting. Halla had a good season in that magical first year of the Golden Knights. Then he had an ugly knee injury. And now that he's been he's been traded away by the Knights who were capped out. So if he can make a good return to form, I think he could be a good value add for the Hurricanes. Um, they bought a first-round draft pick off us for the price of the Patrick Marlowe deal, which, by the way, and I know we've just hammered this, jibes a little bit funny with all that stuff about, like, them low-balling Ajo. Like, I, if I were Ajo, I would be kind of pissed, where it's like you paid, like, $3.8 million to buy a first. And now you're trying to screw me, but whatever. Um, and yeah, they dealt Calvin DeHaan, who is a very good defenseman, but it was basically a salary dump. Um, you know, they got back Gustav Forslang or whatever in the signing rights, but it doesn't make a huge difference. So it's an active season for them. I, you know, they didn't make any did you huge mention, moves. Did and you mention the Reimer trade? I did not. Yeah, the Reimer trade is just, uh, they unloaded Scott Darling. Mm-hmm. They got back James Reimer, who... My understanding was they were going to buy him out, but they haven't yet, so maybe they aren't. Um, I don't know if it's the, the the timing with the second buyout window. I have to remember the deals on that. But you can I, only I use thought the, second, the idea was... You can only use the second buyout window if one of oh, your guys right, goes because to ARB. It, yeah, and it only works on guys who were on your reserve list as of the last trade deadline, so never yeah, mind. Yeah. So I, I guess they're going to keep him? Yeah, I, I mean, know. their, their goaltending yeah. tandem is 6.5 mil. And I think they're basically hoping, okay, we have two 1Bs. Let's hope one of them mm-hmm. is good for this season. And let's cobble together goaltending yeah. that way. Yeah, and you know, I can think of worse ideas, honestly, when you're in Carolina's position. So, Yeah, yeah I mean... Anyway, uh, we, decent uh, offseason. Leaf fans forget this because of how well the Anderson trade has worked out. But, like, it's hard to find goaltending when you don't have it. And, like, Anderson is worth his weight, in, worth more than his weight in gold. I've done the math on this. If he was worth his weight in gold, he'd only be like worth four and a half million or something. Gold is <laughs> not as expensive as you think. Um, but anyways, yeah, with like Anderson's so valuable because it's like, okay, he's consistently above average year in year out, right? And that yeah. wasn't guaranteed at the time that we got him. He only had like a 120 game sample in the NHL and it was 120 mm-hmm. above average games, but it's 120 games. So, you know, things can go wrong. Yeah, so, we described it as a big gamble at the time. Yeah, uh, and it's worked out I brilliantly. It, yeah, Lou's, yes. One of Lou's best trades. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so let's uh, move on to the Chicago Blackhawks. We've already discussed Yukiharu for Nylander, so we probably don't need to belabor that. Um, they picked up Robin Lehner, which is interesting, for a year at $5 million. So there's zero term risk. I really thought Lehner was going to get more than that. Um, off the season he had, which was brilliant. Um, it sounded like he wanted to extend in Long Island. Long Island kind of went in a different direction, and Leonard was not super happy about it. They're still spending $11 million on their goaltending next year because Corey Crawford is still there at $6 million, but after that, both deals expire. So, 
I, you know, I think that that's kind of an interesting trade. Uh, something that I kind of missed in the whole dance of moves that were happening at the end of June was that they actually uh, reacquired Andrew Shaw. Um, I'm not sure why they did that, frankly. Shaw had a surprisingly good year last year. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess everyone on the Habs did. Uh, I, I've been used to laughing at his contract, but the truth is that, yeah, when you look at it, he had a perfectly productive season. A very productive in, in, year. His even yeah. scoring was like a first line rate, and he's a a good play driver. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he actually, well, let me just make sure that I'm right about this. Yeah, even though he only played 63 games, he actually had by far the most productive season of his career. Yeah. So, yeah. so I mean, it's, yeah. it's interesting. Um, I wonder how much the points are going to subsist or persist rather. Um, he had mm-hmm. a 12% on ice shooting percentage. It's quite high. I mean, never bet on the guy who has a huge spike at 27 is my usual rule of thumb. Yeah, but, but he, he's still useful, although probably not worth his contract if he goes back to his, like, kind of fourth-line level scoring. Yeah. Um, the, the bigger thing is that Chicago has this impulse to get the band back together that they keep yeah. trying to true, and I think that's a bit dubious. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, that's where they're at. Ch- Chicago is definitely in, like, the dying embers of a dynasty stage, and... They'll certainly take it for all the miraculous success that they've had. You know, they were the uh, the marquee franchise of the NHL for about six or seven years. But I, I think now that like there's like there's just not an obvious way for them to to get back to where they were now, uh, unless they have like a couple of spectacular draft hits in the Alex Stipper and Cat mode. So. Um, moving along to the Colorado Avalanche, uh, the Colorado Avalanche's big, their biggest trade was the one that we've talked about at length was the Kadri trade with us. Um, they also picked up Andre Burakovsky, who's one of those guys who never quite seemed to live up to his potential. I think it's fair to say. Uh, yeah. He was a, yeah, a good forward in Washington, but like, he seemed like he could be more and he never quite did it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's now got an RFA negotiation ongoing, so we'll see about that. Uh, they signed Jonas Donskoy, who is a um, actually pretty decent unheralded death winger. Now they're paying him three point nine million per, so it's not like a huge discount. But uh, they extended Colin Wilson. They extended Nikita Zadorov, who is big and hits people. They gave uh, Pierre Edouard Belmar one point eight million a year for some reason. <laughs> um, you know, um, Katja had a thing that she uh, espoused the other day where she talked about the deals for guys who are like 1.5 million. And she said that, like, that's usually a sign of a bad deal in that range. Like, either you should be getting a, a guy on an ELC or a minimum who's a better bet, or you should be getting a better player. Like, guys who are in that range are probably not giving value for money. I, You know, Belmore seems like a nice guy, but I don't think he's going to pay out at that level. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and we, we've talked about Soderberg. So, I mean, it's a big year for the Avalanche. They've got the Ranton and negotiation ongoing. They seemed a little bit like they wound up with all this cap space and then they didn't end up being able to do what they wanted to do with it. Like, they still have to get Burakovsky and JT Comfer and Ranton under contract. But they've got $23 million to do that against the cap. And it's hard not to look at that kind of cap space and think, was there a plan here that just didn't come to fruition? Like, I mean, they pursued Panarin, but he didn't have much interest. 
Yeah, so, I mean, you know. Yeah, they they do have a ton of cash burning a hole in their pocket. We'll we'll see what happens with them. They're they should be a good team for a while, right? Like they should be. Yeah, well, I mean, you've got McKinnon on one of those phenomenal deals. Yeah. You've got uh, you know, Ranton and coming up. You know, they've got a lot going for them. But I, I guess we're gonna see. Uh, the only other thing is that. I wondered a little bit about an offer sheet, but they are out their second and third round picks for next year. So if they're going to offer sheet anybody, it's going to be in the four firsts range. Yeah. So I don't know how that's going to go. And they may not want to do it anyway with their own RFA coming up. So yeah, Colorado feels a bit to me like they've made some good moves, but that they probably had something in mind that has not come about is the feeling that I get. Or maybe they just don't want to spend to the cap, you know? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, uh, Columbus Blue Jackets. Ooh. Um, yeah, this is an I interesting don't know. one. Yeah, now that um, they're safely eliminated and I don't, they're not going to win the cup. I mean, they had that brilliant upset of the Tampa Bay Lightning. And it was very exciting. And maybe they just needed that because they, you know, they hadn't won a playoff round in the history of the franchise. Mm-hmm. No, and so it, it, it's... that's. It, it, it's important. Like, that that's something that fans can look back on with, with pride. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was great. It was sort of a we'll always have Paris thing. You'll always be able to remember that. But uh, they have now lost Panarin, Deshane, Bobrovsky, Zingle for a combined return of nothing. They all went UFA and they all left. And, you know, that was the price that they knew that they were paying. That was the risk they knew they were taking, although I think that they thought they might extend that to Shane. They but, had oodles of cap space and no one to spend it on. Exactly. And, you know, that, that's kind of weird. Like, yeah, they're, they're sitting on $15 million now, and they have to extend Zach Wierenski, who's going to require a, a decent deal. But really, they're just kind of sitting. They have a lot of mid-level guys that um, are kind of okay. Their big free agent acquisition that they did spend some cap space on was... Uh, Gustav Nyquist, who is like, he's fine. Like, I think if you look up second line scoring in the dictionary, you see a picture of Gustav Nyquist. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, like, he's not a tremendously exciting acquisition. And, you know, he's 29 years old. They'll get something out of him, but they just, they seem to have a ton of these contracts in the between four and a half and six million range. For guys who are pretty okay or who had a really good season one time, you know, Cam Atkinson, Brandon Dubinsky, Gustav Nyquist, Nick Foligno. Um, they're all decent players. All of those guys, they're all decent players. And they're all between 29 and 33, and they're all making between 5 and 6. And it's like, that. that's fine to me, but it seems like it's a really good recipe to be a mediocre team. Yeah, and... I, I, wonder, I wonder what they, they kind of plan on doing from here, because... Okay, you can say the next great Columbus team is going to be built on Pierre-Luc Dubois, Seth Jones, um, Zach Wierenski. Boone Jenner is young enough that he'll still be a contributor. Oliver Bjorkstrand will be a, a piece on that team. Do they do like a quick one-year tank, try and get another mm. guy, and then try and throw some of their cap space around? You wonder. I, I mean, the thing is, the only way to do a quick tank... And I don't know too many teams that do this deliberately, but the only way to do a quick tank with a team that is pretty okay even now is bad goaltending. Yeah, well, I mean, they, they have their 
their goaltending duo is Jonas Corposano and something named Elvis Merz Lickens. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, they're making a combined sub two million, yeah. which is either a huge discount or a huge we're not trying that hard. But yeah, I don't know. Uh, but the thing is, that it's, it's hard to it's hard to tank precisely, right? Because so much is dependent on goaltending yeah. and shooting and you don't know going in how, how good you're going to be on that front. Um, yeah. I don't but, think they're in a position where they can do it. They have too many decent players. Yeah, so maybe maybe they should go the other way and say, okay, we'll absorb salary for a couple, for a season or two, right? Mm-hmm. G- lend, give me your bad contracts and your first-round picks associated with them. And then yeah. continue to build. I mean, Pierre-Luc Dubois is very good. Jones and Wierenski, I think most people would describe them as two of the best young defensemen in the world. Mm-hmm. So there's like... It, 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 they don't have the problem that Arizona has where I just can't see elite talent mm-hmm. with anyone on Arizona. I can see elite talent on Columbus. Yeah, right. I think that that's true. Although I will say uh, it's going to be real interesting to see how Dubois does next season because Artemi Panarin was playing with him a fair bit and he's going to miss him. Yes, but yes. But I mean, e- even aside from that, I'm, I'm quite high on Dubois. Yeah. Yeah, no, he's um. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's very hard to to piece together because you can see a road to decency for them, and yet it, it's one of those teams where I wonder where the ceiling is. I think, as you say, like they need to get something more to to really elevate that level. Um, yeah, and you know, Gustav Nyquist is not it. You know, and to, to be clear, Columbus, Ohio is not maybe the most touted free agent destination and and it's hard like i guess we're, we're spoiled yeah. as leafs fans because we got our stars we the way we got our stars was by sucking for a long time and we hit on every single top 10 pick yeah every single one of our guys our our main top 10 like everyone who we picked within the top 10 would be taken higher or at the same spot in a redraft that's very rare in yeah. the top 10 Right. Yeah, I think that that's that's an accurate assessment. I mean, you know, uh, Riley Nylander, Marner, Matthews, and Nazem Kadri. Yeah, they'd all be picked higher um, than or equal to where they were picked, and then we yeah. leverage the fact that we had a really good team, and also the fact that the GTA was where John Tavares grew up, and we acquired mm-hmm. another star. Right. A lot of those options aren't available to Columbus, and it's like the Leafs can be a viable business, and be crappy it, it it makes a difference but like they're still profitable still very profitable mm-hmm. that's not necessarily true of columbus or or many other teams and while I, I say that like you know if you're a billionaire and you can't afford to lose some money on your sports team like your sports team on an ongoing basis is it's like owning a really nice boat like you expect to lose money on it it's still mm-hmm. probably not great even if you're a billionaire to, to see a team to own a team where you're like hey we're losing 20 million dollars this year Right, so like yeah. the the hard sell tank is like not as viable for a lot of teams as it, as it was for Toronto. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, the only thing that I think is that you can end up in a situation where you have what I used to call the Minnesota curse, where you are not bad enough to get uh, another high pick, and you are not good enough to seriously contend. I could see Columbus slipping into that tier. Not necessarily, as you say, they've got some some core pieces that are very very good, but the next step is a tough one for Columbus. I really think that the only thing that I will say is that after all of that, um, you, you know, they took their lumps in terms of price and picks. They have their first rounders into the future, like they have their first next year, 
they're down a second and a third, but still, it's like the the draft price is not absolutely crippling from here on out. Yeah, so, I mean, the, we'll see. The that's why I think maybe they should want to weaponize their cap space and just acquire bad contracts and hopefully some picks alongside them. Yeah, I mean, and you know, only they know if ownership is willing to do that. Yeah. So. Okay. Yeah. Um, All right. So we're, we're like what one third done and. <laughs> We're an hour in. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you want to see if we can get to a uh, halfway? Yeah, let's do that. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll do this maybe next the rest of them next week. Yeah. <laughs> so sorry, our uh, our reach exceeded our grasp on this one. But um, the Dallas Stars uh, had a somewhat interesting off season. They acquired Ryan Hartman, and uh, there was like a funny thing on Twitter where people thought for a bit that he actually did not know this. Um. And then I believe they let him go, and he didn't know that either. Uh, yeah, he wound up in Minnesota. Like, they traded him for Tyler Pitlick or something and then let him walk. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Uh, in terms of signings, what they did was they got Corey Perry on the $1.5 million. Uh, speaking of Couch's $1.5 million rule, he immediately came to our minds in terms of, like, there's a guy that might outperform it. I think Perry is going to have a little bit of a rebound season. And at that price, I'd certainly take it. Uh, they also picked up Andre Sakara, speaking of guys who might rebound off an injury. Sakara used to be pretty good. Yeah, he I used think to be a legit maybe... defenseman. Yeah, uh, and then he got really hurt. But um, I think people kind of forget that because he was in Edmonton, and Edmonton has that whole stench of failure on them. Yeah, and, and I mean, like, the players. Edmonton can be made fun of for a lot of things, but the, the contract that they gave Sakara, I think, was fine. It's just they got kind of unlucky with how injured Sakara ended mm-hmm. up being. Yeah, I thought it was an entirely a worthwhile try for them. Um, but I also think that this is a worthwhile try for um, Dallas. I did a piece forever ago that kind of looked at guys recovering from injury, and it suggested that they were devalued harder by the market than they actually experienced a decline in performance. That was just a very general and imprecise thing. I, you know, I didn't have the resources to do it in any kind of detailed way. But I always think of it with these little deals. I like taking a flyer on players like this. Yeah, it's a one-year deal. Their biggest ad, yeah. So, you know, what's the harm? But the biggest uh, acquisition was Joe Pavelski. And Joe Pavelski is 34. They gave him uh, three years at $7 million per. But... So everything about he's that... He's a really... Yeah, everything about sorry? that, you see 34 years old, uh, three-year deal for $7 million. You're like, what are you doing? But as you were about to say, Joe Pavelski is still very good. Very good. Yeah, he's a, he's an exceptional player. For his age, he's like a unicorn. Like, it's rare to be as good as he is even now with not showing really any decline yet. Yeah, and, and um, I mean, look, time is undefeated. He's going to decline mm-hmm. at some point. It could happen very suddenly. He could also age like fine wine. We don't know. That's the thing. This is one of those things where, like, aging curves are built on averages, and we're dealing with an individual who has proven to be very exceptional. Yeah. So, so uh, we could say late bloomer also. Yes. So we could noting. say he'll probably get worse over this deal. He almost certainly will get worse, and he'll probably decline. Yeah. But like, he's worth seven million right now, and it's hard to get players for nothing but cap space who are as good as Joe Pavelski. Hmm. So you know, I, I think this this is good. The interesting thing about this is that at the date of signing, he was actually ten days before his. 35th birthday oh so it's not a 35 plus deal 
is not a 35 plus contract. So if the time comes and they do want to buy him out, mm. and it's worth noting, the last season doesn't have any signing bonuses. Um, that's smart. That's really need... smart of them, actually. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess it's more lucky yeah. than smart. Like, it, yeah, Joe he's an elite player, so he's going to sign July 1st. Yeah. Uh, but it, it worked out for them in a positive way. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Dallas has always been interesting to me. They had one year where they were like complete fire wagon hockey. And then they seemed to decide that it didn't really work. We have to get better at defense. And it seemed to just mean that they just sort of didn't do very well. Like they didn't really turn into a good team. They got into a better defensive team, but on net, they weren't really that great. Um, they still have Sagan and Ben, which despite their COO blasting them in the press, and they're a fantastic base for a top line. Mm-hmm. And they have Radulov, yeah. And, and so, Klingberg, Heiskanen, are, yeah. they, they, they have stars. And Pavelski's another star. They do. So like, I, I actually kind of like it. I do. I actually, I like this a lot. I think um, Dallas could be a really exciting team next season. Like, I could see a lot of things working out. Now, they've done some things that I thought were uh, really weird. Like, the Essa Lindell extension, which was before the period that we're talking about. It was early. It was during the season, I believe. Mm-hmm. But uh, they gave a guy who looks very middling uh, six years of term at 5.8, which, okay. They extended Roman Polak at $1.75 million. Actually, that deal is amazing. Yeah. Good for them. That, that, that's phenomenal. Uh, no, with, with the Lindell <laughs> thing, I feel like... Okay, so this is a very convoluted theory I have. It's not even a theory. I just okay. thought of it now. <laughs> but let's ride. I feel like when you have a good team that has one really good defenseman and a bunch of players who are like not quite as good, and we'll set aside Heiskanen because Heiskanen's also like he's an incredibly good rookie, right? But mm-hmm. they have like they're, they're a good team with a couple standouts. The guy who is like the best of the rest, or is like used like the best of the rest, gets overrated because people don't want to. Just be like, oh yeah, the stars are carrying the ship. You have to be smart and be like, actually, Essa Lindell is quite good. <laughs> if you watched Dallas, you would know. Which, by the way, was something that someone told me in the course of an argument that we should trade William Nylander for him. Yeah. <laughs> no. But, sorry. As you were saying. Yeah. So I feel like, I feel like he gets overrated for that reason, and I, I feel like this is like the reason. Um, what's it? This is the reason like every Leafs defender. Uh, besides Riley and Gardner, was like, was uh, like Nikita Zaitsev in his first year. It's like, oh yeah, you, you know, mm. actually Nikita Zaitsev's quite good. Like, he's very good, <laughs> right? And then like, you know, gets kind of at a certain point, the Leafs defense was so bad that it's like, okay, it becomes obvious that he, the, the guys after Riley and Gardner and Musin, are not particularly good at all, right? So this is a very poorly thought out theory. I, I don't know of any other I, example. Can I actually you, like it. I, can you think yeah. of any other examples of when this happens? Like when a good player or like an okay player on a good team gets overrated just because like people want to credit him and not like the actual like big players. Yeah. Because it becomes like a hipster thing. Yeah. Like almost where it's like you're showing knowledge about the team because you like this guy who is not the guy who's on the back of everyone's jerseys. He's the next guy down. But are there any other examples it's of an... that? I'm trying to think of. Something. Yeah. That's the thing I'm trying to think of because the, <laughs> The thing that's, that jumped into my mind was Chicago, but, like, almost all the guys on Chicago turned out to be really good. Yeah. So they're kind of an exception. What about um, um, what about Nicholas Cronwall? What, uh, it went during, like, peak Detroit era. But the thing is, Cronwall Oh, was, yeah. Cronwall Nick Cronwall was, is... Was, he was good Name then, the though. theory after Nick Cronwall. 
Yeah, but he like seriously, because he was a good defenseman, but he was playing behind like Lindstrom and Rafalski. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, anyway, yeah. That's you know, I'm a little sad that this is buried like 70 minutes into the podcast. You, you got to do like a elaborate that theory. I think that's, there's something in that. <laughs> I don't. I, I probably doesn't actually hold, but um, <laughs> we'll, we'll pretend it does for the sake of the podcast. Yeah. Anyway, but yeah. I, so I think Dallas had a aggressive I, I don't want to say like not insanely aggressive they didn't tear anything down but they they had like an active uh start to the offseason they, they, and i think it's it's good they have a good team and they i think at least this year got better so like i, I would mm-hmm. say that they're a contender yeah i think so i think the west is wide open yeah i mean it's the nhl it's always well, wide open yeah that's true the west is i mean unusually wide open mm-hmm. like there's not a team in the west that i think is a juggernaut by any means. So, I, you know, good. Shoot your shot, as far as I'm concerned. So, by the way, while we were doing that, I counted how many teams there are to get to 15. So we're going to finish with the Los Angeles Kings today. Okay. That's the plan. Sounds good. So we got a few to go before that. But the Detroit Red Wings. Um, so the Detroit Red Wings are kind of... Jesus, we're still on D? Circling... <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm sorry. There are a lot of teams in the first half of the alphabet. I've just learned this for the first time. Yeah. <laughs> this is a peek yeah. back into how well planned this podcast is in the off season. Yeah, like, I'm sorry. You know, you know, at least we have some structure. We have the last night thing. Now it's just sort of like we're just going to have opinions. Yeah. But um, yeah. So the Detroit Red Wings, who are, you know, let's be honest, still the ugliest cat friendly in the world. Just disgusting. And, you know, circling the drain is probably a little bit harsh because you can start to see the way out with some good picks. You know, they've got... Um, Dylan Larkin's great. Uh, great contract, too. Dylan Larkin is really good yeah. on a good contract. He, Dylan Larkin um, might be the most one of the most underrated players in the league. He's really good. Yeah. He's really good. Because he, um, he plays for a tire fire. Yeah. Yeah, and, and he doesn't have much help. No. And they, they've got Philip Zadina coming. They've got Joe Valeno on the way. Uh, Anthony Mantha's good. I think... Yeah, Anthony Mantha is good. You know, you've you've got some pieces where you're like, there's like the scorched earth stage of the rebuild where all you can see is ashes and the bones of your relatives. And then you've got the next stage out of the the depths of it where you start to see, okay, here are some pieces. Yeah. Here are some potential. The thing is, like, Larkin is very good. I think he's, Mm -hmm. he's like a a top, I don't know, he's like a top 40, top 50 winger in the, or top 50 uh, forward in the world. Um, mm-hmm. but like, again, they, they don't have that superstar, right? Like, I think, I think Larkin and I mean, if a Detroit fan is listening to this, they'll be like, that's a ridiculous comparison because Larkin's way better than this guy. But I think he's like a William Neander caliber player mm-hmm. where they're like clear first liners on good teams, but they probably can't be your best player if you want to win a title, if you want to win a champion, uh, a Stanley Cup. Yeah, I was actually thinking about that recently with regard to St. Louis because they don't have a lot of guys like that except Tarasenko. Yeah, I think Tarasenko. And then their is, defense is outstanding. Yeah, no, but Tarasenko is probably the guy. Yeah, I think Tarasenko is, um, and Pareko is also like an, an elite, elite defender. Yeah, and Petrangelo is very good. Yes, so I, I guess maybe their strength is just a little bit more unconventional. Yeah, but um, I mean, they, they don't have yeah. like a top five player or anything like that, but like. Like, I think Tarasenko is one, one of the 10 best wingers in the world, certainly. Yeah. In terms of pure shooting... Yeah, like, Tarasenko's his, deadly. His wrist shot terrifies me. Yeah, Tarasenko's just deadly. The, like, yeah. Anyway, but uh, we'll save that for part two. But, um, yeah, the thing is is that they've got some some hope here. 
but they've also got um, still these gross contracts. Franz Nielsen, just an applicator. Um, they signed Valtteri Filpula for two years at $3 million. I mean, okay. I don't even know why. Why are you giving Valtteri Filpula two years? I'm not sure that what they're going to achieve there. Uh, they signed Patrick Nemeth, who is like our... <laughs> like, he's a creative player on NHL 19, where it's a sort of like, it's a defenseman, you know? He doesn't have a lot of standout traits. Yeah. It just, yeah. I, I think at least what they did was like, they didn't sign anyone to like stupid term or something like that. Um, except, like, I still don't get the second year on They did enough of that in years prior. (laughs) Yeah, that's all they did. And so it's like, it doesn't really matter. They let Nyquist go. I think that that's fine. I don't think they had any business signing the Nyquist UFA contract with the state that they're in. It's a rebuild, you know? And And they they have... Only time is going to fix some of this stuff. Yeah. It's a shame, because, like, at least a couple years of Larkin's ridiculously good deal are going to be wasted on teams that are not competitive, and... Again, like Larkin is really good, and it, mm-hmm. I don't think any Detroit fans listen to us. But if you do, like, like uh, my comparison of Nylander to Larkin is, assuming Nylander doesn't shoot five percent for the rest of his life, like Larkin for sure yeah, has they're better. They're gonna be like, hey, Larkin had seventy three points. Yeah, Liam Nylander had forty zero. Yeah, yeah like, he was on pace <laughs> for like forty or something. Um, yeah, but yeah, like Larkin is really, 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 really good. Uh, one of the best play drivers mm-hmm. in the league. He's excellent. Yeah, so, yeah, I think that, you know, like, if I, if I were a Detroit fan, I would say, okay, you know, we're going along. Even if you think, well, the Filpula thing is, like, maybe a little bit silly, we weren't going to be good next year anyway. Like, the year after next year anyway. And it's $3 million, so whatever. Yeah. Just keep, you know, building up. Tank another year. Yeah. I, I actually just looked this up. Um, The different Larkin's RAPM numbers over the three years are quite similar to Nylander's. He's a bit worse defensively by XG, Larkin is. Um, yeah, might be team effects there, but yeah, like they're similar play drivers. Nylander is an awful shooter. Yeah, well, there you have it. You see, we're gonna ride with this comparison, yeah. even if it makes someone pissed off. Yeah, yeah. Detroit's defense still sucks. Oh no, it's um, brutal. Yeah. Okay, so the Edmonton Oilers uh, didn't really do a whole lot. What they did was not especially impressive to me, but they did it. Um. So they signed Mike Smith to a one-year? Okay. So, so wait, so Calgary yeah, and Edmonton just swapped goalies, basically. Yeah. <laughs> because, like, each of them looked down the road and was like, you know who's really succeeding? is <laughs> Cam Talbot and fucking Mike Smith. Two guys who were having awful years. But, um, you know, they did that. Uh, yeah, my, my cat agrees that Mike Smith is not a great goalie anymore. <laughs> but... Uh, they also gave Alex Chieson a two-year extension at $2.15 million. It's not enough that it really matters. But, like, do you think Alex Chieson is going to repeat this again? Maybe if they glue him to Connor McDavid. Yeah. And maybe they were just like, look, he's a winger that scored goals ever. We have none of those. It's weird. <laughs> Aside like, from I don't, They didn't make any major mistakes or anything. It's just... No. How are they getting better? Yeah, and I don't know what they had up their sleeve. I don't know what they were hoping for. I don't know what the plan is in Edmonton at this point. Is it just kind and of run it back? Our, our wingers surely can't be as bad next year as they were this year. And then, I mean, look, they still do have McDavid and Dreisaitl and Nugent Hopkins. It's a solid trio, to say the least. Mm-hmm. Still have Clefbaum yeah. and Larson, who are 
you know, not that's not like an elite top pairing or anything, but it's not embarrassing either. Yeah, like there's, I say this every year with Edmonton because the truth is, as much as I make fun of the Edmonton Oilers, and I believe it's good for your soul and your skin, um, they shouldn't really be this bad is what I keep thinking. Like every year I expect them to be a little bit better than they are. And I don't know. I mean, you know, maybe they think Yamamoto was going to come up and stick this time and he'll give them some additional wing production. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Like I, and it may just be, you know, again, Edmonton right now is not an especially appealing free agent destination. They're also insanely close to capped out for a team that is this bad. Like, they have $4 million in cap space, and they have to resolve whatever they're going to do with Jesse Puglia-Yarvi, who has been in, like, every trade proposal I've seen for the last two weeks. Um, You know, maybe it'll get better. Maybe Miko Koskinen will give them good goaltending. Oh, God, that maybe contract. It sucks! <laughs> it's so bad. Yeah. Every time I look at it anew, I'm like, $4.5 Really? It, for three years? It's like that, um, that Ryan Reynolds gif of like but why <laughs> they were bidding against no one signing him after one month oh you, you know i'll say this for peter chiarelli even to the end he kept us smiling it's like a beautiful clown um <laughs> anyway yeah koskinen put up a 906 last year have fun with that edmonton yeah, anyway just, so i don't get it they might you know what they might be a little bit better they might be the same and that's actually a huge indictment of what's been going on with that team, of which there have been many. Okay, so the Florida Panthers. Um, the Florida Panthers uh, traded problems in terms of goaltending, uh, so to speak. That's a little ungenerous. But they did the Rhymer for Scott Darling trade that we discussed. They got an additional six-rounder um, out of it. They did. That's what you call asset management, baby. And... Uh, then they immediately bought out Scott Darling because they were going to spend $10 million a year on Sergei Bobrovsky. And Wait, so that must have been as... done in the first buyout window then, right? Yes, it was. Okay. Uh, sorry, let me, yeah, June 30th. Okay. So, yeah. So, yeah, they did that. The thing about term contracts for goalies is that they're scary. The thing about term contracts for goalies that have an eight-figure AAV for the goalies who are 30 is they're really scary. Sergio Bobrovsky's been a really good goalie for a while now. So don't get me wrong. Um, but, like, you really do not have to try that hard to envision this blowing up on them pretty bad. Yeah, it's... Um, <laughs> it, it might not. That's the thing is I'll say, like, it could be good. Uh, it could be good for a while. It could be bad later. How long but... could it be good for? That's the thing, like... I, I just don't look this might be a case of downtown saying look if this doesn't work out I'm not going to be here for it yeah I think that that is probably true I mean Dale Talon's well into his 70s by this point I believe and you know he's had a frankly undistinguished run since taking over the Panthers again and, and the other thing is like Bobrovsky uh, won the Vesna in 2016-17 since then and I'm using all situation save percentage here, which is going to make uh, Katya very annoyed. But just as a quick heuristic, like, he put up two successively worse seasons since then. Uh, okay. Well, that's what, the way you want that to be. Still, still sure. above average. 
um, when you look at like goal saved above average. Um, but yeah, it's not. I don't look at yeah. that career path and be like, that's a guy I gotta pay a lot of money to at a position that is known for volatility. Now, again, at the same time, it, it, it's unfair because it's like, yeah, it, I'm gonna make another stupid analogy here. You know how people say like, money isn't everything, just in life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Only rich people say that, <laughs> right? Because um, because if you're if you're poor and if you're struggling, like money is a real factor in your life. Like it matters a lot. It has a huge Absolutely. impact on your happiness. Goaltending is like that in the in the NHL, where teams that have mm-hmm. goaltenders, like why are you committing so much to that goaltender? And teams without goaltenders, like. I fucking need a goaltender because it's like air. If I don't have a goaltender, I'm going to die. <laughs> right? So it's like, we're, we're with Anderson, who has a nice deal, right? We're yeah. like, why are you paying so much for Borowski? Well, they don't have anyone else. What are they, like, and, and that you Speaking need. from our yacht. Yeah, yeah, like they need a goaltender. And by the way, the Leafs are going to make this decision in two years as well. Mm-hmm. Right? So prepare yourself for that. Um, but the reality is, is like, when you don't have goaltending, the most important thing you can you need is like everything in your team should be like where's our goaltending where's our goaltending where's our goaltending and mm-hmm. then once you have it you can forget about it it's like okay cool yeah uh, that, i mean that's been an incredible luxury it's really true to have freddie just make us basically not worry um there was a period of like eight days when he first came to toronto where someone tried to make a goaltending controversy between him and jonas and roth because freddie was struggling that was funny oh, yeah because that was october but- freddie yeah, October Freddy. But by and large, he's been a rock for us in the good way, not in the Brett Seaburg <laughs> your home decor sense. He's a tasteful rock on our front porch. <laughs> yeah, I know. He has a naturalistic, earthy tone. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so anyway, that's that. Uh, the Panthers have done it. And they've also signed Anton Strahlman for three years at 5.5 and Brett Connolly for four years at 3.5. Uh, the Strahlman thing is a bit like... I feel a lot like that might be paying a guy for who he was two years ago. Keeping in mind, Anton Strahlman is now 32. Um, this, again, also might be evidence of Talon's thinking, hey, if it doesn't work out, I'm not going to be here for it. But I, I'm a little iffy on that deal. If they get the Anton Strahlman of old, you know, like he bolsters uh, that second pairing, he, he adds you know, some defensive credibility to their depth, but, like, I don't know about that. Yeah, and then Connolly is, like, a decent bottom six guy, I suppose, but I think his, again, his claim to fame is shooting talent, right? And then it's a bit tough to justify spending on shooting talent um, when it's not a guy who you're pretty comfortable would do that consistently, so... Yeah, like it's not like out of this world or anything like that. He's, you know, he had 22 goals um, last season, but that's the first time he's broken 15 in the NHL. So, anyway, we'll see. Uh, I, I honestly, do you not feel like the Panthers really thought they were getting Artemi Panarin? Yeah, I think they did. I, you know, and he's worth pursuing from a hockey perspective, but oh well. Now they have to live with it. So, yeah, I. I mean, look, I worry about everything as a Leafs fan. I'm not hugely worried about, like, what are the Florida Panthers going to do next year. I'm guaranteeing by saying this that they're going to win the division. But, like, I look around the Atlantic and I see the Florida Panthers finishing in seventh. Seventh? So. Yeah, I mean, so much depends on... Now, Bobrovsky does have the ability to turn in another really strong year and then 
they probably finished. If he puts up 925, it's a whole different story, right? Yeah, for sure. And, I mean, Barkov's a legit 1C. They still have Huberto. They still have, um, what's-his-face, Trocek. They still have Hoffman. They have have real talent. They do. And it's just it's never quite been enough. So, yeah. Um, And so we're going to finish on the Los Angeles Kings. The Los Angeles Kings did not do very much of anything, which is convenient for us. The only thing I want to note is that I really, really think that the Kings should burn down that roster now. And I mean they should go to Drew Doughty and Anze Kopitar and say, please waive your no-movement clauses because we are going to torch this thing. Uh, I don't know if it would work, but like I don't see how that team gets good again in the near future. I don't think they do. Um, I just think like they're too old and too slow. And unless Jonathan Quick is, again, you know, goaltending overrides everything, right? You can It can make anyone look silly. But I do not like the near-term prospects of that team at all. So I, I think that they might be in a position where it's like... Is it viable you know, for them to trade? Like, those are two of the greatest um, kings of all time. Yes. Right? And that's a good point. And, you know, maybe... I always think a, a lot about this where it's like no GM wants to be the guy who traded X player. You know, someone was debating on this, you know, say McDavid asked for a trade. Well, I'm saying, well, Holland says, I'm sorry, man, please just trust me. Give me some time. Well, yeah, but I, Holland is not going to be the guy who trades McDavid with McDavid. Uh, if it's like, can at all avoid it. if I'm Holland, I'm like, you're here for five more years, buddy. Yeah. Or six more years. Uh, but like, they, they don't also McDavid is honestly so stupid signing an eight year deal there. Stupid in the sense was, that like, I mean, He's not, he's not levering his immense talent to make sure he's always in the best situation to win. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, if he wants to stay in Edmonton, sure, he should stay there, no problems. But, like, he could have been a lot more smart about controlling exactly where he wants to play and the team around him and that sort of thing. Yes, he could have. Uh, at the same time, I think he thought that they were going to be a lot better than they have been yes, when he signed that at contract. At the time, right, they had just come off a second round, yeah. a tough second round exit where like they looked like they could really be a great team. A lot of people picked them for the cup next year. So I, I thought I, they were going to be really good. I thought they were going to win the West. Yeah, no, I, I, um, I get it. And they I, fell apart. I get it. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Um Anyway, back to the LA Kings. The thing about them is that like they're doing these kind of good uh, rebuilding moves. Like the Jake Muzzin trade to us um, was a good rebuild move on their end. You know, they picked up Grunstrom and Dursey and a first. I think that you know that's a very fine bit of business on their end. Mm-hmm. But you know, the long term prospect of them is they have a few years of a lot of bad contracts. They have Kovalchuk, who is pretty much done. It looks like or close to it. They have uh, Dustin Brown and Jeff Carter, who are actually still not bad, but they're both 34 and they have three years left. Like, all of this just seems to add up to me to, you are not good for two or three years. Do you want to be paying uh, Kopitar and Doughty a combined $21 million against the cap for the seasons that are in their mid to late 30s? Or do you want to try and sell out now for what I suspect would still be a ransom if you pulled yeah, it off? Yeah, because you can still sell teams on like hey these guys are still really really good and yeah. we know how hard it is like we 
a lot of what we've discussed is like this team made a questionable signing but it's like yeah what, what are their options it's hard to add talent and you need to make your team better somehow right and the yeah. reality is most players don't move the needle right so if mm-hmm. you can get a guy if you can get a team that says hey we're an Anse Kopitar away from being an elite team maybe you go for it yeah I, you know you only need one taker and maybe you even get them on a first that's a little longer term than immediately because I've always thought I a lot of people have thought this this isn't like original to me or anything like that but for teams that are in that kind of win now mode getting a first a couple of years out from them seems like a really good idea to me if you can pull it off yeah I agree um, I may just be influenced by all those crazy trades that have been happening in the NBA lately where yeah, the NBA is you, know, wild, you get like a man. first and yeah I know Nothing that we've described in these 15 teams is compared to, like, what the Oklahoma City Thunder just did. It's just a different different environment, right? Mm-hmm. So, anyway, but, uh, yeah, that's our survey of the first alphabetical half of the league. Uh, there are 16 teams left, but one of them is the Leafs, and we cover the Leafs pretty rigorously anyway the rest of the time. So, I guess we'll uh, do, do a second episode in uh, a week or so? Yeah, sounds good. Think? All right. Okay. Uh, cool. Thanks for listening. Yeah, so you can catch <laughs> yeah. all of mine and Fulham and stuff at pensionplanpuppets.com. We're starting the top 25 under 25 soon. I finished my voting yesterday. I put maybe 20 minutes of thought into it. So, <laughs> a- a- as always, this is the caveat we always make. The rankings are less are just a pretense to discuss the Leafs pipeline, right? And discuss the players yeah. and kind of examine their strengths and weaknesses. If you were putting a lot of thought into who should be ranked 18th versus 15th, um, I commend you for your attention to detail and how fastidious you are, but it's not something that I particularly am that, you know, passionate about. If you, if you want to quibble with our rankings and say X players need higher, it's like, okay, yeah, sure, fair. Maybe. Yeah. So anyways, <laughs> Maybe. you can find all of mine and Fulman's work at pensionmanpuppets.com. You can follow us on Twitter at RV and AT Fulman. Uh, thank you for listening. We'll catch you next week.